Well, we're going to continue today in our series. Uh, we've been in all summer long, If I Should Die Before I Wake. And uh, when I started this series, I had no idea at the time that my stepdad would pass away. He did a week and a half ago. Uh, he was really a father to me for 28 years, a man that I love, a hero in my life. Uh, it's hard to lose your heroes, and he was, he, he was one of them for me. And, and I had no idea when we started this series that that would happen. I had no idea when I planned this series that my Uncle Don, who's another hero of mine, uh, would be uh, on his deathbed, and he's, he's within a few months of dying as well of, of cancer. And it, those experiences, the passage of my stepdad, just another reminder to me of how short life is, how short and precious life is, and how we need to live to make every moment count, to make our lives count for something. God has a purpose for you. We've been talking about this for weeks. He's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. This is something he, he wants from you, and he wants you to live a life in, in, in life in such a way that it makes a difference, a difference for you and a difference of, in the lives of those around us. And so when we uh, understand that, when we get that, then we begin to live the way God meant for us to live. And today we're going to focus on how to live loved. And it's my conviction that when you understand the love of God for you, it changes you. In fact, it changes everything. And so we're going to talk about what it looks like to live loved today. Let me begin with a question, very important question. How might you live differently if you absolutely knew in your knower that you were absolutely loved by God? Now, some of us have been around for a while. We've been Christians for a while, maybe decades and we hear, yeah, 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 of course God loves me. I get it. Sure he loves me. God's the love of the world that he gave us one only. You know, we, we know the scripture verse, we, the John 3, 16. We get it. But my concern is that sometimes, though we get it here, I'm not sure we get it here, that we walk and live. The question is, how might you live differently if you absolutely knew in your knower, in your gut, in your soul, in your mind, in your heart, that God absolutely loves you? In other words, how would it affect the way you see God? How would it affect the way you see yourself? And how would it affect the way you see and treat others around you? In his book, He Loves Us, which is a great book by Wayne Jacobson, he said this, and I quote, The key to living a productive life is not waking up every day trying to be loved by God, but waking up every day in the awareness that you are already his beloved. It's an amazing and powerful quote. And I think, especially if you're a Christ follower, hopefully you want to live a productive Christian life. You want to live a life that honors God, that, that it is a blessing to people around you. And, and Jacobson says the key, the secret to living a productive Christian life is not waking up every day trying harder. I'm going to work harder today to, 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 to live love. No, it is waking up every day with the deep, profound awareness that you are already his beloved. And the reason why this is so important to me, the reason why I land on this so hard is because I was 28, 29 years old before I really, truly began to understand this reality, to understand the Father's heart, the Father's love for me. I grew up in church. By the time I was a week old, I'd been in church. I'd been in church more than half of you even ever would think about going to church. I've been in church all my life. And I'm 28, 29 years old. I happened to be a pastor at that time. And yet I struggled believing that the Father truly loved me just as I was, that he, that, he, that he cared for me, that his love for me was unconditional. I struggled to believe that God delighted in me. I wrestled with that for years, almost, well, more than half of my life. I was at a pastor's conference in Denver, Colorado. I do not remember the guy that was speaking. I don't remember his name. I don't really remember his message. But what I do remember is at the end of his message, he made this statement to the effect, he said, some of you are here today, 
and you are wrestling with your God image, with your father image. Maybe, he said, you've had broken fathers, broken relationship with your dad. And boy, that was sure true of me. The last few years of my dad's life, there was some healing that came to my, my father. But man, up at that point, it was horrible. When I was 28, 29, I, I didn't even want to talk to my dad. It was really bad. And he said, some of you, maybe you've got a broken image of the father because you have a broken relationship with your dad. And he said, God wants to bring healing. He wants to show you his love. He wants to show you that you are his delight. And if that's you, he said, if you're wrestling with that, then I want you. And there was a couple thousand people in this room, most of them pastors. He said, if that's you, I want you to come down front. I want to pray for you. Man, I tell you what, he didn't have to ask twice on my behalf. I made a beeline. And I was one of the first guys right dead center in the midst of a couple hundred people that showed up for prayer. And again, I don't remember all the words of his prayer, but I remember it started something like this. Oh, God, Father. Would you please show them your heart and your love? Would you please break off the powers, the darkness, the things that have blinded them? And man, I, I went, as he prayed that God would give me eyes to see the, the Father's heart for me, I began to weep. Now, no big surprise there. You know me. I'm a crybaby. But I, mean, I began to weep. The next thing I know, I'm down on my knees. And I am literally on my knees just sobbing and, and shaking. And then I don't know when, but at some point along the line, I end up, I won't do it, but I ended up on the carpet, sucking carpet. Just, just, you know, sobbing and wailing and, and, and broken. Not because I, 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 I didn't get it, but because for the first time I started to understand the Father's love for me, that I was his delight. To hear the words from God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, to say, Kurt, I delight in you, broke me, just broke me. Well, then this guy, the guy that was leading this prayer time, said, now some of you are out there, you, you need just come down and would you just lay hands on some of these people and begin to pray for them. And somebody came down next to me, and I'm, again, on the floor, laying prostrate, sucking carpet, bawling my eyes out, making a mess of myself, and I feel this small little hand on my back. At the time, I figured it was, I thought, you know, probably a woman's hand, guy would go whack, you know. But this small, gentle hand on my shoulder, and then I heard a voice, and she began to pray, God, just give him more of your heart. And boy, it's like a whole other flood. <laughs> you know, and then I'd call, start to calm down a bit, Lord, show him more, give him more. And every time she said more, I would just break. And wail. And at one point, I said, like, stop. What's this? Stop saying more. I don't want any more. I'm going to die right here. I really thought, man, have you ever cried so hard you just thought you were going to die? I thought, I can't breathe. And then I got done. I found it was a 14-year-old young girl, a teenage girl that came down and put her hand on my shoulder and prayed for me. The thing is, from that moment on, guys, from that moment on, it was one of those turning points in my life where I began a journey, began, began to understand for the first time that I was a delight to God, that he loved me. To see him as a father, not with his hand raised wanting to whack me, but with his hands out wanting to embrace and hug me and hold me. Knowing, accepting, believing, experiencing the love of God for you will change you. It will change everything about you. And so what are the implications of that love, of that reality, and what does it look like to live love? That's what I want to talk about. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. To live loved is to live secure. Number one, to live loved is to live secure. To live in the knowledge and belief that we are loved by God brings a confidence to our lives like nothing else can. The reason why I'm so passionate about this topic and talk about it on a fairly regular basis around here is because we need a refresher course. We need to be reminded. Some of you have been around for a long time, and you today, my prayer for you is that you'll have a fresh encounter with the love of God for you. That, you, that though you may get it here, that it'll go deeper here today than it ever has before. Some of you, you're investigating Christianity, what it means to be a Christ follower. And I'm so glad you're here. 
And one of the little things we say around here is a safe place to discover grace. And we're going to give you room to discover the goodness and the grace of God. But my prayer for you today is that you'll experience the love of God in a way for you that perhaps you've never experienced before. And my understanding, my belief, and I know this to be true from the scriptures, that as we get it, as we know it, as we experience it, it changes us. And it brings confidence to our lives like nothing else can. In fact, I think the most secure people on planet Earth are people who are secure in their relationship with God. At least they ought to be. They're secure in the love of the Father for them. You've heard me say it before, that I'm not a big fan of self-confidence. Now, I know I... I'm running upstream on this one, that I'm going against the grain. Uh, there are school programs that teach self-confidence to your children. There are, go to any bookstore, and there's a whole rack of books, self-help books, how to build confidence in yourself, how to build confidence in your kids, how to build confidence in your dog. I mean, they've got all, I mean, they've got it everywhere. It's, and our, the focus of our culture is on self-confidence. And, and I'm not a big fan of that, because despite all the self-help books and views to the contrary, my opinion, my belief on this is that self-confidence can only take you so far. I mean, really, how good are you? How strong are you? I mean, it's, and just keep telling yourself over and listening to tapes at night, you're wonderful, you're great, you're awesome, you're powerful, you're strong, you can do anything. Is that really going to make the, the life change difference that needs to happen? Uh, and the problem is, I think one of several things can happen. If we buy into the whole self-confidence, at some point we become arrogant, proud, look at me. I am man, I am woman, I am whatever. And we think we're, we're great, and, and so we, we, get, we get proud. And then the other problem that happens is when we focus on self-confidence is that sooner or later when we fail, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, guess what? We all fail. When we fail, then one of two things happens. Either we, we go into the tank emotionally, <gasps> you, know, we just, you know, we plummet because we realize we're not as great as we thought we were, or worse yet, we just go into denial. We completely deny the sin, the failure, the mistakes. And we just don't go there. We don't want to look at it. And those aren't good options either. But when we live secure and confident in God, see, I'm all about God confidence. When we live secure and confident in him and in the knowledge that he knows us better than we know ourselves, and yet he loves us nonetheless, isn't that an amazing thought? God knows you better than you know yourself. We think we know ourselves pretty well. Like I, you know, I, I know my words, I know my thoughts, I know my actions. You know, most of the time, I, I'm fairly self-aware. God knows you better than you know yourself. And yet what blows my mind, what amazes me, is that he loves us nonetheless. He knows every thought, every word, everything that you think is a secret, he knows it. And he loves you nonetheless. He still loves you. And when you get that, that builds a self, and not a self-confidence, but a God-confidence in your life that is way better than self-confidence. Romans 8, in my opinion, one of the greatest chapters in the New Testament, if not uh, in the Bible, and certainly one of the greatest in the book of Romans. Uh, written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was one of the first missionaries and a guy that wrote nearly half the New Testament. He wrote some things in Romans 8. I wish I had the time to go through it in great detail, but I'm going to land on just a few verses, beginning in verse 31. Paul said, what then shall we say in response to these things? Now, what are the, these things that he's referring to? Well, let me quickly just bring you up to speed. The beginning of this chapter, Romans 8, he says, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So one of the things he's referring to is that we are free. Just the song we sang earlier, that there's freedom in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in relationship with Jesus. Later on, he talks about in the same chapter that we are adopted sons and daughters of God. 
that we can call him, Pastor Nate dealt with this really well last week, the ultimate adoption, that we are adopted as his children and that therefore we can call God Father God. In fact, Abba Father, which is an intimate, almost Daddy God. We can have that kind of intimate relationship with him. He goes on and talks about these things, and of course referring even to the first seven chapters. But he says, what shall we say then in response to these things, these truths? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Paul's saying, God gave us his very best. He didn't hold anything back. And isn't that the way he is? And won't he continue to do so? Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and who's also interceding for us. Verse 35, I think Paul's getting pretty excited right about here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and I, I, am, I am imagining Paul pacing the room, spitting like I do sometimes to the front row, excited, passionate about this statement. No, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. Listen, here it is. Separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is saying there is nothing and no one, absolutely nothing and no one that can separate us from the love of God. Not dumbness, danger, demons, or even death. Nothing can separate us from that love of God. And living in that confidence, guys, living in that security, getting that not just here but here, and living every day with that awareness changes you and it changes everything. It changes us. But when we don't get it, when we don't understand it, what it does is it affects us in other ways as well. About a year ago, uh, excuse me, about a year before we left uh, Life Center to plant East Point, so almost 10 years ago now, I had a, a young uh, guy in the church, 20-something, come up to me and said, hey, Kurt, would you, would you mentor me? Now, mentoring, I think, is a healthy environment. I think it's biblical. Uh, we pass on what God's given to us. It's, it's, a, you know, it's a great way to make a difference in other people's lives. And, and uh, he came, and I was humble. He said, man, would you mentor me? I just want to grow and, and get closer to Jesus and be more the man of God he wants me to be. And I prayed about it. I said, man, I'd, I'd be honored to. And mentoring, in my opinion, and I'll give you just a brief definition of what it looks like, I think it includes modeling. A huge part of mentoring is me saying to this guy, follow me as I follow Jesus. Paul said that. Follow me. Key phrase there, as I follow Jesus, you follow me. And so uh, it's a, hu a huge part of mentoring is modeling for someone what it's like to be a man of God, a husband, a father, to walk with, with Jesus. Another part of mentoring is encouragement, where I look for in this guy the gifts of God, the call of God, where I fan the flame of passion in his heart. And so encouragement's a huge part of it as well. But another component to mentoring involves correction. Now, not in a controlling way. I don't control anybody. I'm not their Lord. I'm not their God. They've got one, and that's good enough. That's plenty. But it does mean that at times I speak the truth in love, that I bring correction to someone. And the first two things I, I thought were going fairly well with this guy. Um, you know, I, I was modeling for him the life that I, I, I would model for anyone, complete with repentance when I made mistakes. I was encouraging him. But several times I brought, attempted to bring gentle correction to his life. 
I would speak into his life, hey, you know that thing you did there? I, I'm not sure that was such a good idea. Or the way you spoke there, or that attitude about your wife. You know, let me just challenge you to think that through and to really weigh that in light of the scriptures. And, and every time, I'm not exaggerating when I say every time I brought correction to him, he got defensive and upset with me. In fact, even when I tried to correct him for not receiving correction, he got really mad at me and wouldn't hear it. So I'm thinking, well, this is not working. Because I can model, I can encourage, but if I can't speak into someone's life, uh, the, the hard things at times, then it's just not, I, I'm investing a lot of time. And so I was ready to pretty much pull the plug and tell this guy, you know, man, uh, it's, it's, uh, I love you. I'm always going to love you, but this really isn't working. And I, I was praying, and I, it was like the day before I was going to have a conversation with this young guy. I was praying, God, I, show me how to, to let him down and bring him into, you know, and show him what's going to happen because he's not going to be happy. And, and I was praying, and it had one of those God moments for God, the Holy Spirit just whispered to my heart, Kurt, the reason he reacts to your correction is that he doesn't know that you love him or that I love him. He doesn't, he's not secure in the love that you have for him or the love that I have for him. And the minute that light went on, the minute I saw that and understood that that was the issue with him, man, it gave me a whole other perspective. And then Instead of pulling the plug on this kid, we sat the next day and had a long conversation. And then we had, for several weeks, other long conversations and prayer times where he began to understand my love for him and, more importantly, the even greater love of God for him. And it changed him, radically changed him. You see, if we are insecure about the love of God, it's true in your relationships this way, by the way. If you're insecure about the love of your spouse or your friends or your family, then it affects you profoundly, and absolutely so. If we are insecure about the love of God for us, then we will tend to be defensive when he brings correction to our lives rather than humbly own our stuff. When the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something in you and says, this is not like Jesus. This is not a good idea. This is going to hurt you. This isn't what I want for you. Instead of saying, oh, God, you're right. I want to change. Help me change. We'll get defensive. Or worse than that, we'll, get, we'll deny. We'll, be, we'll live in denial. Not smart, not healthy. When we're insecure about the love of God, we'll live in dread of him rather than secure and feel safe in his presence. So when we fail, we'll run from him rather than run to him if we're insecure about his love for us. When we're insecure about the love of God for us, We'll strive to, I see this all the time, we'll strive to please God, a God that we think we're, we're trying to earn something from. We'll strive to please him rather than live in the peace of knowing that you already are a delight to him, that you are, already are his pleasure, that he already loves you as much as he's ever going to love you. And I see that all the time. People strive. And when they do, when they live like that, then there's not a lot of joy, which takes me to the next point. Number two, to live loved is to live in joy. To live loved is to live in joy. I honestly believe that Christ followers ought to be the most joy-filled people on the planet. That we really ought to be the ones who, who demonstrate and our lives are marked by joy more than any other. Now, along those lines, and to give a little smile to us, let's watch this together. Huh? Oh, <laughs> 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 
this one, Micah. the simple joy and just getting some paper ripped in front. But I also love the dad. The dad's like, and you can almost see him probably saying to the wife behind the camera, more paper, I need more paper. And then he just goes crazy, you know. <laughs> Pure and simple. Joy. Now I'll tell you, being joyful doesn't mean that we always smile or always laugh, uh, that we're always uh, giggling like that. There certainly is a place for grieving and mourning, as many have been and will today in memory of 9-11. I get that. I know that. But the most obvious and common characteristic of our lives should be joy. If we know him and if we're forgiven and loved by him, the most common and, and one of the great characteristics of our lives ought to be marked by joy. You know, in Galatians 5, uh, there's a list of what's called the fruits of the Spirit. Now, it's kind of an odd word if you're new to the Bible. Basically, it just means that the things that are born out of our life naturally and supernaturally when we walk in relationship with God. The fruit of the Spirit is when we have the Spirit in us, when we are walking in the fullness of the Spirit, when we have God, the Holy Spirit, living and dwelling in us, then the natural you know, product that's produced in our lives are these things that are listed as fruits of the Spirit. Joy is listed, right, number two, by the way, right behind love, love, joy, peace, are the things that are mentioned here. And so the point is that as Christ follows, as we walk in relationship with him, there ought to be some things that mark our lives, and joy would be one of them. But what is joy? Well, let me give you the Webster Dictionary definition, which, by the way, is not one I necessarily agree with, but let me read you what the dictionary says. Joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. So basically, according to Webster, uh, joy is when you get what you want. When life is good, when you're experiencing all the things that you want, then you have joy. But from a biblical perspective, it's so much different than that. From God's perspective, joy is way bigger, way deeper. It's not just an emotion brought on by success or by good fortune or by getting what you want in life. In fact, it's way more about the who than it is the what. And if you're taking notes, jot that down. Joy is a lot more about the who, capital W. It's about the who than it is the what. It's about the relationship that we have with God. Joy is the exhilaration that comes from knowing that happiness is not solely based on happy circumstances or life going the way we want or good fortune, but on a relationship of love that we have with our Father who deeply cares about us and delights in us and who's with us always. Joy is that deep delight. It's not just the, the giggle, the, the smile. It is that deep delight that comes from experiential knowledge of God's presence in our life, no matter what. God's presence in our lives, no matter what we're facing. And that we are in the midst of whatever we're going through, still his delight. You see the difference? It's not just based on feeling good, things going good. Because if that's the basis for joy, then a lot of us would not be very joyful very often. 
But as Christ followers, our joy is not based on the circumstances or on the, the what, but on the who, that we live in, dwell in, walk in, remain in a relationship of love with Jesus, a relationship of love with our Father, that no matter what we're facing, no matter what tragedy, no matter what darkness, no matter what horrible thing happens to us, that we can have that confidence of God's presence and love in our life. David put it this way in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. God, you reveal to me the way. And he says, you will fill me with, here it is, joy in your presence. God, you fill me. How? With joy in your presence. With eternal pleasures at your right hand. Joy. True and ultimate joy comes from him. Eternal pleasures come from his presence. From living and walking in an awareness that he is with us. And knowing that his hand, again, is not raised to strike us, not raised to whoop us, but his hand is extended to embrace and to love us and to, to, to hold us close to him. That's where joy comes from. You know, when I was in my 20s, I had four little kids at home, and one of the highlights of my day, and if, if some of you have experienced this, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I'd come home and uh, open the door and make the declaration, Dad's home! And man, I tell you what, you know, no matter what my kids were doing, whether they were in the back room, in the bathroom, in the living room, wherever they were, they would make a beeline. They would peel out from wherever they were, and they would come and basically just tackle me and grab my legs and grab me and scream and yell and want my attention. In fact, I would often say that the sign of a, a father who's loved are the snot marks on his leg. Because, you know, these kids come up, and why they do it, I don't know, but they grab you, and they just rub their face all over your leg, and, yep, there it is again. Those, those pants are going to have to go to the cleaners. But it's a sign of love, and it would bring and brought joy. Just my presence, Daddy's home, brought joy. It's incredible joy. And it's like, when are they going to get tired of this? When they turn teenagers, by the way. <laughs> Dad's home. Yeah, whatever. But the joy that, that, they, that they experienced, just the fact that I, I was there in their presence, I came home. It's a joy that we can live in every moment of every day. God's not just coming home once in a while. He doesn't just show up at six after a long day. He's there with us, and his presence abides with us. To live loved by the Father is to live knowing that we have his joy because of the presence that's with us always. Well, there's one last thing about living loved I want to cover. To live loved is to live loving others. It is to live secure in the love God has for us. It is to live in joy knowing that his presence is with us always, no matter what. But it is to live loving others as well. You see, here's how this works. And, and listen carefully. The more you realize how good God is toward you and how much he loves you, the more you understand his amazing and unconditional love for you, then you'll respond to him in kind, loving him. And I believe then that's when you understand how to love and show the love of God to others as well. The Apostle John wrote this in 1 John 4, 19. We love him, God, because he first loved us. It's a short little verse in 1 John that's always just blessed me. It's always amazed me. John said, we love God because God first loved us. God took the initiative. Romans 5 says that God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, while we were far from him, he sent his son to die for us. God knows this about humans. He knows this about us. That for the most part, unless we're brain dead, we're responders. That when somebody does something kind to us, generally there's a warm, fuzzy response. When somebody shows love to us, generally there's a response of love. Oh, thank you very much. That's awesome. I really appreciate that. 
that in our human nature, and unless we get really twisted and demented and self-centered and broken, which I know it does happen, but typically we're designed to be responders. God said, I'm going to take the initiative. I'm going to love you. I'm going to demonstrate my love first. We love God because he first loved us. God says, I'm going to show you my love because I want you to respond to that love. I want you to respond to me. And here's the deal. In, in the same context, in the same way, as we receive the love of God, as we embrace the love of God, as we know and experience the love of God for us, then we find it possible. Then we are empowered to love others, especially when we realize that we don't deserve the love that we get from God. When we realize how much he loves us, unconditionally loves us, then it puts us in a different frame of mind to love others. Here's how Jesus said it in John 15. He said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Amazing. Jesus said, guys, as the Father has loved me. And they couldn't even begin to comprehend all that love. But he said, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Now remain, abide, stick, stay in that love. And then verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy, there's the joy component. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, full, mature, everything God wants it to be. And verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. Again, up until the point I was in my late 20s, I read that verse, I don't know how many times. Many, many times. And every time I would read John 15, 12, Here's how it would, I would hear the tone. This is the way it came across to me. As I have commanded you. And I always heard it, this harsh, oh, thanks a lot, God, giving me one more thing I'm going to blow. One more thing I'm going to fail at. One more thing I'm not going to do right. One more thing I'm going to put on my to-do list. As I have commanded you. And I, I'm not kidding. For the first 29 or so years of my life, I read that verse focused on the command, the heavy the hard. And then as I began to understand the Father's love for me and how I was his delight, I began to read this verse focusing a lot more on the last part. Now, yes, it's still a command. It is a challenge. It's what God calls us to do. It's not a suggestion. But the last part, Jesus said, as I have, here's my command, as I have loved one another as I have loved you. The last part of that is so important, as I have loved you. As I begin to understand the Father's love for me, his heart for me, that I was a delight to him, that he embraced me and loved me beyond expression, beyond words. Then I began to know that, that he wanted me to remember that love. When the disciples heard those words, love one another as I have loved you, I don't think they heard it as another harsh, mean, one more thing to do for Jesus. I think it dialed up for them, again, all sorts of memories. And there are three years of walking with Jesus, three years of seeing him sacrifice and love them and care for them. When they blundered, when they blew it, when they failed, when they were stupid, when they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest, Jesus corrected them, but he loved them nonetheless. And then in, 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 close to this experience here in John 15 where he washed their feet, where it says, it says that Jesus, to show them the extent of his love, knelt down and washed the feet of the disciples. I believe that when he heard, when the disciples heard those words from Jesus, love one another as I have loved you, that all of that, those memories flooded in on them. See, here's the point, and I'm almost done. When you and I remember that we have been greatly and passionately and deeply loved by God, and we really aren't worthy of it, it's, we really haven't earned that love, it's, we really aren't good enough, but he's chosen to love us anyhow. When we get that, that he loves us even when we're unlovely, then we want to love him in response. You know, most of you have probably got a VDP uh, or an EGR in your life. 
You know what those are? Very draining person, VDP, or an EGR, extra grace required. And uh, they're the people, just if you're thinking, well, I don't know if I got anybody like, well, let me just, they're, they're the one that when they walk into the room, your blood pressure rises. When you hear their voice, you'd rather listen to scratching fingernails on a blackboard than their voice. When they call you, you dread, you, 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 you've got them in your, your uh, caller ID because you don't want to pick it up. And then, then when they, you do, and, and they ask you the stupidest questions, the most stupidest stuff, 10 o'clock at night, hey, I just wonder, why do they call a group of puppies a litter? I don't know and I don't care. Don't call me. They're the ones that stick to you like gum to the bottom of your shoes. You know what I'm talking about. Those people that just drain the bone marrow out of your body. They're hard to be around. We've all got them or we've had them. Or if we don't, you will. Some of you work for that guy. It's difficult. I know. I, years ago, I was on staff at a church in San Diego. And there was a guy in our church. I'll call him Hugo, not his real name. But Hugo was that guy for me. He always showed up early. We were setting up for church in a boys and girls club, so we would get there about 6 o'clock in the morning. And Hugo was there at 6.01, baby. He was always there. And it was the first one there and the last one to go. And, and he would find me, make a beeline for me, and he was like my shadow, a shadow I couldn't shake. And he was always right there. And the thing about Hugo, he was actually fairly intelligent as far as intellect goes, but he had no social skills whatsoever and horrible personal hygiene. I mean, the guy's breath was like the feet of a thousand camels. It was horrible. And his body odor was just terrible. And so and he would just literally follow me around like a little puppy following mama. And this went on for over a year. And then he'd show up sometimes in the office in the week. Now, I wish I could tell you that I loved Hugo just like Jesus did. I didn't. I did everything I could to shake him loose and, and to put him off. And he, I did not like Hugo at all. One day, I'm having a conversation with my mentor, with my boss, with my pastor, uh, Jack Little. And Jack, uh, I, I was hoping that he would give me some great wisdom on how to get rid of Hugo, how to give him the left hand of fellowship, with a, you know, that I would, I would get some wisdom on how to deal with this guy. And so I'm telling him the story and going through, and Jack, you know, he was an idiot. He'd seen and he knew, and, and, he, uh, he, and I'm thinking Jack's probably glad that Hugo's attached himself to me rather than him. But, so I'm telling him all this about I'm expecting Jack to be compassionate, kind, and give me wisdom. And Jack gets this stupid smile on his face. If you know Jack Little, it's, a, it's that you know you're about to get something. And he gets a smile on his face. He goes, well, sounds like Hugo's a gift to Jesus from you. And that God wants you to go love him just like he loves you. I wanted to hurt Jack. Now, really, I, 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 this close to really getting quite ugly, and, and I wanted to hurt him. Don't, don't tell me that. That's not what I wanted to hear. And then Jack just turned around and walked away, left me there, holding this, ugh. And you know what, though? What happened is within moments, it began to dawn on me, because it was a God moment. It began to dawn on me in those moments, you know what? Hugo is a gift for me. Not one time in over a year had I ever not once, I kept not once had I thought Hugo was a gift. Hugo's a curse. He's like a zit on the end of your nose. He's, he, was, he, he, was, he was a boil on my butt. I, he was not. I'm sorry. I, I'm in trouble for that one. I, he was not. I did not see Hugo as a gift. But from that moment, I began to realize, no, God put him in my life to teach me how to love people just like him. And by the way, just like me. Because here's the second thing I realized. 
that I'm often just like Hugo to Jesus? You think I ever have spiritual B.O.? Ever think I come to God and talk to him and I got a big old B-H-O hanging on, you know, booger hanging out? Ever think I come to God and I sound really irritating, that, I, that I'm whining and complaining? And... You think, uh, trust me, yes, the answer is yes. I'm just like Hugo to Jesus sometimes. Now, the good news is he never treats me the way I treat Hugo. He loves me nonetheless. I come messed up, ugly, stinking, miserable, complaining, you know, and if Jesus wasn't Jesus, I'd be draining the bone marrow from him. But he never treats me that way. He loves me. And it dawned on me, not only is Hugo a gift to me, but sometimes I'm just like you go to Jesus, and yet he loves me nonetheless. Guys, when you get that you're not worthy of the love of God, but you understand that he loves you, he loves you nonetheless. It'll knock you off your high horse, and it'll begin to give you a love for others that you'll love. Jesus said, here's the deal. Love one another as I I've loved you. Let me pray for you guys. Father, I know that there are some um, sitting here right now or watching online who have not been secure in your love for them. In fact, they've been very insecure about their love relationship with you. And perhaps, Lord, they've had the same ugly father image I grew up with, and it's hard for them to see the father as a loving, kind, gracious, good God. Would you heal their image of you today? Would you do what you began in me so many years ago, Lord? Do that for them. Begin to show them today a love like they've never seen it before. And then, Lord, some of us, we're in the midst of really hard circumstances. We've got things going on in our lives, relational things, financial things, job things, physical things, Lord, that are just devastating. And it's so hard. And we've lost our joy. We've lost, we've lost any confidence in you in the midst of all of this. God, today, would you turn our eyes from the what to the who? Would you help us to put our eyes on the one who's with us always, who has promised to never leave us nor forsake us? And God, I, the circumstances may not change, but I know our hearts can change, our attitude can change as we remember that we're not alone, that you have promised to be with us. And then, Lord, as we look to you, would you return the joy Lord, let us be people so that when the people around us see us going through just living hell, they see us going through hard, hard things, that they shake their head and wonder, how, how is that possible that you have joy and peace in the midst of this? And we smile and say, it's because of the one who gave us all for me. It's because God is with me. That we would point them to you, Lord, the source of our joy. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us to love one another. We might be sitting next to a person that's hard to love sometimes. Lord, we might have a Hugo we thought of right away. It might be a guy, we, gal that we work with, somebody in our family. Lord, it could be our neighbor, whatever God, whomever it is. Would you show us today to love as we've been loved, to love as you've loved us, God? Let me ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet begun, begun your life as a Christ follower. And, I, and maybe for the first time, you get it today. God loves you. And it's like this light went on. Wow. I, I, I don't have to earn it. I don't have to clean my life up first. He loves me. And, and yet that light of revelation is by the Holy Spirit who wants to be the one who introduces you to the relationship you can have with God the Father through Jesus Christ, his son. 
And if you're here today and you want to begin a life as a Christ follower, as a Christian, as one who surrenders your life and accepts the free gift of his life and forgiveness, then I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. Now, it begins with you choosing. God, I need you. God, I've sinned. God, I want you. You know, you can have the love of someone around you, but if you don't receive that love, you're not going to experience it. God loves you. But for you to experience that, to know that, you've got to receive that. And here's how you do it. You just say yes to him. And make this prayer right now. My words, your words as I pray this. Father, I need you. I need your love. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I have failed. I have, I have fallen short of everything good that you want for me. And so I admit right now that I need you. And right here, this 9-11-2011, I I give it up. I surrender my life to you. I yield, God. I embrace your gift of salvation, your free gift of grace to me. I say yes to you. And I, I get it, and I see your love, and God, I am grateful. And today, right now, right this moment, I am beginning my journey as a child of God, as a, as a child of the Father who deeply loves me. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Now, if that's you, just in your own way, say, yeah, God, that's me. That's what I'm doing. That's what I want. Every week, two, three, four, five people make this decision, and they say yes to him. In your own heart right now, just say, God, that, those words, that prayer, that is so me. That's what I want. And that instant you do, you cross the line into faith, into relationship with God. It's a long journey. It's a journey that will take you into eternity. Lots to still learn and grow, and yes, but you make the choice. You enter into relationship through faith in Jesus and his gift to you. Lord, thanks for those that have made that decision right here today. And I pray that you bless them and show them what that means and what it's going to mean for them for, throughout eternity. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. One of the um, messiest songs we sing around here is the one we're going to finish with right now. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And I remember the first time I heard this song, I was disturbed by the words, especially the part where it talks about sloppy, wet kiss. It's like, wow, I just, nah. And you hear a radio version. There's a guy that's got a radio version. They've changed those words. But here's the thing. Before you pass the usher, guys, hold on just a second. Here's the thing. My grandson, who was up on the stage last week in Caleb, when he kisses me, he opens his mouth about this wide and just slobbers all over my cheek. And it's a sloppy, wet kiss. And I never go, ugh. Now, sometimes I do this. But I never go, oh, man, it's, it's, that's what he does. It's just sloppy, wet kiss of affection and love for his grandpa. When we sing these words today about, oh, how he loves us, I want you to be moved by the love of God for you. We're going to give. If you're visiting today, now would be a good time to drop that visitor card, that tear-off tab, and your prayer request in. I want to encourage you to give. Give because you want to support what God's doing here at East Point in the ministry here. But give, most importantly, because you love him and he loves you. Let's give as we worship. I'll come back. He loves you. He delights in you. You're the apple of his eye. No, yeah, buts. No, but uh, no. He delights in you. He loves you. He always will. Always has. May you leave here today knowing that love like you've never known it before. You began your life today as a Christ follower and you experienced the first time this morning. Experienced firsthand the love of God. And you pray that prayer. I'll encourage you to tell someone. We want to walk with you. We want to support you in that journey. And there's back on the table as you walk out. A, since for new Christians, there's a packet and a Bible and some material. Get you starting to walk with him. Please pick one of those up. Prayer team would be down front. Communion's available on the sides of the room. And my prayer for you, listen, here's my challenge. Go live loved. 
Go love others because you are loved. Go live in joy because you are loved. Go live secure in the confidence of a God who loves you. Go live love this week. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.